Please stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading two passages today. The first one is from Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write... These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Thanks, Jennifer. We'll, uh, we'll just leave that light off there a little bit. Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here this morning on our Thornhill Baptist Church Thanksgiving. I know, uh, I know some of you may have had Thanksgiving last Sunday, but as a church family, we usually celebrate usually the week before or the week after. Let me make some room here because this could be really awkward if I trip halfway through preaching. So, okay. Actually, all I do is set the stage to give me a few moments to line up the butterflies, and then, uh, and then I'm ready to go. Okay. So, Jennifer, thanks for reading today's scripture, and in light of the Thanksgiving service, uh, yeah, it's been mentioned already. We have much to be thankful for. God is good. He is God Almighty. He is holy, and we are separated from Him because of sin. But because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross, we can be reconciled, and that's something to be thankful for. So, the title of today's sermon is The Role of the Church in Opposing Culture. And, and I, I hesitated to whether to prepare a message that had directly to do with Thanksgiving, and, uh, and yet I decided that I think we're going to keep going with this, because I think one of the best ways to show our thanks for all that God has done is to now live a life that reflects his glory and points people to Jesus. So, so we're going to go um, with the sermon title, how, or let's see here. Sorry. Yes, we're the, talking about the role of the church in a culture that's against it. All right. We live in a world that's increasingly opposed to the Christian faith in religion, so how do we respond? That's our question for today, and I'm going to pray before I get going here just to settle down a little bit. Father God, I thank you that because of what Jesus Christ did, we can come boldly before your throne. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit who empowers us to to live out a life that's revealing the change that you have done in our life. And I just pray for this morning that this message, your word, would come alive within us to challenge us and to encourage us and to maybe point us in a, in a direction that we were maybe 
not headed before we came in here this morning. So would you have your way with us and uh, help us to come out of here with what you want us to come out with? In Jesus' name, amen. So, throughout this morning's message, I want you to be asking yourself a question. And that question is, what is my role as a Christian in this culture that seems to be opposed to my faith? And I'm going to suggest to you that your role, my role as a follower of Jesus, is to stay connected to him. John chapter 15, verse 4, may become the new life verse for many of us this morning. Let me just read here from the New American Standard here. John chapter 5, or John chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. That's the answer to our question this morning. Our number one priority as believers is to abide in him. Because once you're in a right relationship with Jesus, everything else will fall into place. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ will be in you and work through you. So let yourself off the hook. Let the pressure go. Because it's not about you converting or changing people around you. But it's Jesus working through you. And when you start following Jesus, the Bible says that he fills you with his spirit. Now, if you're not sure if you're following Jesus this morning, then you need to talk to somebody today because it's not an accident that you're here. You can come talk to anybody you see around you or come talk to me and, you know, we can help to make sure you're, you're following Christ today. But it's the Holy Spirit that comes in you that will make those around you thirst for what you have. And you will be a light in the darkness. And you don't need to try so hard to make people see what you see or think what you think. That's not your job. God will draw people to himself through you. If you're filling your role and abiding in Christ, then Jesus himself will reach out through you into this broken, sin-filled lives. This world is a dark place and he wants to reach out through you. So it's not in our own strength and wisdom that we attempt to make the world a better place but rather we let the Spirit of Jesus dwelling in us work through us. So the reason we're talking about the role of the church in opposing culture is because we've started a Bible study here in the book of Colossians. And uh, we're studying the church at Colossae. And the church at Colossae kind of fits the description of, of a group of believers living in a city that's opposed to their faith. It's a church that was in a hostile environment, They were in a pagan city where idolatry had full reign and their sin abounded in this city. And yet, the church at Colossae is one of the strongest testimonies we have in the New Testament of how the power of the gospel can transform people and see them become salt and light. So how do we know that they were being salt and light? Well, this Colossians church had a great testimony that came from them staying connected to Jesus Christ. And last Sunday, we learned that they were known for their strong Christian character, not only in their little has-been one-horse city of Colossae, but throughout the entire region. In chapter 1, verse 4 through 8 in the book of Colossians, we saw six examples of their reputation while going through a tough time, but still living in the victory in Christ. And when we looked at that, uh, that chapter, verses 4 through 8, we saw this list. And through this list and living it out, they were being not only salt, 
but also a light to all those who were lost in sin all around them. We know that they were being a light to the world because the Bible told us in 4 through 8 that they were known for six things. They were known for their faith in Christ. They were known for the love that they had for the brothers and sisters, the saints. They were known for the hope that they had in a better day, the hope that they had in heaven. They were known for how the gospel reached them and constantly bore fruit in their life and how proficient they were with the gospel. And they were known for how they had love in the spirit. So when you see the description of the church in Colossae, you see that they were being salt and light in their community. So this is a good time to ask the question, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Now, when Jesus used that saying in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus was using an example of something the listeners could relate to. Now, they didn't have refrigerators or deep freeze back then in those days, so they used salt as a preservative so that the food would last longer and keep from rotting. In other words, when you're abiding in Christ or your hope and trust is in the Lord, then His Spirit is in you. Then your faith is influencing this sin-filled environment, this rotting, decaying culture around you. The world's not going to go to hell in a handbasket as long as we have followers of Jesus who remain faithful, being the hands and feet of Christ. So in a sense, we as Christians are preserving the world from decaying. But salt is also used as an additive to make things taste better. And uh, if you don't believe me, try eating McDonald's french fries without any salt. Had that happen? Not a pleasant experience. And as Christians, we follow Jesus when he says to love others like you love yourself or take care of the poor and the needy and the hungry. Look after those who need a hand and serve a broken world and make it a better place. Just like salt makes McDonald's french fries that much better. Does that make sense? And so Jesus says that our role is also to be light. So when you're staying connected with Jesus and abiding in him, then with the Holy Spirit's strength in us, we follow his teachings and his examples. And the Holy Spirit's strength in us reveals God. So people see our lives and how we live and the day-to-day choices we make and our love for other people, and it's powerful. And they see that we have hope in a better day, that there's more to life than the here and now. And they thirst for that. And it's a light that points to a person's faith in the power of God to transform a person's life. And so everything we know about this Colossians church can basically be summarized in this statement. They were known for faith, hope, and love. And the gospel was transforming lives. That's what this group of believers was known for. Now take that thought and hold it for a moment. And let's look at what's currently taking place in our culture today. As our church is kind of transitioning to find its place and position in a postmodern culture that's increasingly more relative when it comes to truth. And uh, how do we react as Christians when we declare that we know the truth and we know the way and the life that comes through Christ? Now, I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think that outsiders see the church as the place where faith and hope and love abounds and where the gospel's transforming lives. But right or wrong, the church has now been labeled as intolerant, judgmental, socially backwards, and out of touch with reality. Does that bother you? Because, friends, where is the line between being salt and light and being the morality police? 
I'm not sure if we actually have a great answer for this. But when we look to the Scripture, when we look to the Bible, and we listen to the Scriptures that Jennifer read for us this morning, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we see that Jesus is addressing these seven churches in Asia, and he addresses them, and he says, this is what you're doing well, and this is what I have against you. Now, before we look from our perspective and say, these are the things that the church is not doing well, because we could be off the mark, right? I mean, they could be doing something great according to Jesus. So instead, we're going to get Jesus' evaluation on these seven churches and see if there's any similarities between us today and what they were doing well and the things that he was upset about. So briefly, let's look at these seven churches and see what Jesus had against each one. The first church was the church of Ephesus. In the beginning of chapter 2. And Jesus says that they had left their first love. Who is Jesus Christ? That's what he had against them. They left their first love. And if there's ever something that we as the church do not want to be known for, it's that. I mean, as we teach about relationship and intimacy with God. God help us if that becomes a description of Thornhill Baptist Church. That we leave our first love. Now the second church was the church in Smyrna. And he had nothing bad to say about that church. Isn't that awesome? That's where we want to be. Then there's the church in Pergamum. They accepted false teaching in that church. That was his number one issue with them. And then there was Thyatira. This is where Lydia comes from in Acts chapter 16. And in Thyatira, these believers accepted sin and false teaching within the church. And Jesus was upset with that. And then there was the church in Sardis. And he says that they needed to wake up and persevere in the truth. And it's kind of funny because he's like, hey, wake up. You guys are not even in the game here. You're supposed to be salt and light. You're still called to a mission. And that's what he has against the church of Sardis. And then there's the church in Philadelphia. And again, he has nothing bad to say about that church. But then there was the church in Laodicea. Now, from our study in Colossians, do you remember where Laodicea fits in? It was one of uh, three cities, a a triad of cities in the area, kind of like Airdrie, Calgary, and Okotoks. There's uh, Laodicea and Colossae and Areopolis. And so there was false teaching and heretical teaching creeping into the churches as it was coming in that region. And so these churches needed to be on guard. And one of the first things we talked about at the beginning of the series of Colossians was that... If the believers at Colossae, or even the believers in Laodicea or Areopolis, if they accepted the teachings of Greek philosophy and Jewish legalism and mixed it with Christian doctrine, then it was going to lead them to a place where Jesus Christ was no longer their supreme, all-sufficient Lord. They would be looking at everything else, and that's why the Apostle Paul comes in and he says, keep, he keeps saying over and over again, Christ is all you need. Jesus is all you need. It's not Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that, but it's just Jesus. And now, notice what he had against this Laodicean church. They were not hot. They were not cold. They were lukewarm. And they were operating from a position of self-sufficiency, And he's describing the fact that they've fallen into this trap. It's no longer them depending on God, depending on Jesus. They're just trying to do everything on their own. And we can get caught in the same trap. 
We talked about that last Sunday, that there's some of us, some believers that say, God, thank you for saving my life and, you know, punching my ticket to heaven. But I'm going to take it over from here. I I got this under control. I'm going to deal with my problems. I'm going to fix my marriage. I'll pull my socks up and do better. So what is a lukewarm Christian? It is a believer that has lost his connection with Jesus. If you're not abiding in Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. I wonder... If you've ever noticed reading about these seven churches in the book of Revelation, check this out. Now, ironically, none of the rebuke that Jesus has for this church at Laodicea talks about their interaction with the world. None of it. It's all internal. Jesus seems to be upset with the issues that come from the inside, from the heart, from the mind, from the attitude, from the motivation. Because when it comes to Jesus' perspective on these churches in Asia, it was the believers that strayed from Jesus, their first love. It was the believers that abandoned truth in their churches. It was believers that accepted sin in their church families. It was the believers who no longer remained alert. It was the believers who were living self-sufficient lives. It was believers who had gotten lukewarm. So in order to be salt and light... We need to get right with God. What is our role as a Christian in a culture that is opposed to us? Our role, or better yet, our responsibility as individual believers is to abide in Christ. And his life will come through us. And we talk about this a lot. God didn't tell you once you come to Jesus that you got to go clean up your life now. You get that sin issue taken care of and fix your attitude and change those habits right now because that's a bad habit right there. No. John chapter 15, verse 4, we'll read it again here. This is what he says. Abide in me, and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And our job is to abide in him. He lives his life through us. Why do we change that around? Why do we flip that around? Can I ask you a question? Are you being salt and light in your community or your workplace or your school? Are you abiding in Christ and letting him touch the lives of those around you? Have you been making your neighbors or co-workers or classmates, have you been turning them into an outreach project, a conversion project? Or worse, have you been disconnecting yourself from Jesus by making poor choices or having a lack of discipline in your godly walk? Could it be that a lot of the problems are because we're trying to muster up something in the flesh that can only be generated in the spirit? We're trying to change our neighborhoods, we're trying to change our city, and essentially we're trying to change the world, but is it in vain? Are we doing it in our own strength? Do you know that the Bible doesn't say to go out and change the world to think the way you think and act the way you act? Instead, what we find in the scriptures is that when believers are walking in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, their lives are being changed and their marriages are stronger, their families are held together, then they're being salt and light. And there's just something that's beautiful and awesome about that. And it's appealing to those around us. It makes them thirst for what we have. Maybe the reason that Jesus doesn't talk about the the, the seven churches in Revelation's interaction with the world is because when you're right with him, it just floods over into the world. When you're connected to him, you are the salt and light. But if you're not right with him, it doesn't really matter on the other end, does it? I mean, seriously, what's the point? 
That's what a lot of people, I think, in the world are saying. Hey, don't come to me with your picket signs and your Facebook campaigns and everything like this. First, let me see it lived out in your life. If you're not living for Jesus in your day-to-day life, then there's no reason to get behind a pickup sign or post that picture on Facebook. What do you think? Well, here it is. And if this is all you get from today's message, then it was worth getting out of bed this morning. The best way to avoid being a lukewarm Christian, the best way to be the salt and light of the earth, the best way to change our city, to change this world, is for Jesus Christ to be fully alive in each and every one of us. That's how it's going to happen. The same way that's the best way for your life to change is not for you to take up control and do it yourself, but it's for Jesus to be fully alive in you. That's where the change happens. The best way for society to change is for people to look at a believer and say, something's awesome about what's happening in that person. We need to learn from our Colossian brothers and sisters, and we need to be sure that the world doesn't just know what we're against, but rather they need to see and know about the Jesus that we love. We want them to see our faith in action. We want them to know about the hope that we have. And, and, and the best is yet to come. And finally, we want them to experience the same love that we've experienced from God Almighty. And if Jesus Christ is fully alive in you, they will see. So, what I'm saying is, the best way to be salt and light, the best way to see the God that we have, the God of love, is not behind a picket sign, but behind a changed life. When people see that, you don't even need to hold the sign because they're already asking questions. So, in light of Jesus' perspective on these seven churches of Revelation, we understand that there are some things he told the church not to do, and we should listen maybe when Jesus says, don't do this, because this is where some other churches have got it wrong, as opposed to us trying to figure it out all on our own, because basically he's saying, don't leave your first love, and that's Jesus. Don't get to a place where you're accepting error and false teachings within your church. Don't get to a place where sin is comfortable and that it's not being addressed when it's made public. Don't get to a place where you stop depending on God and try to run in your own strength. If we just simply do what we know to do, like the Apostle John tells us, abide in Jesus and Him in us. It'll be amazing how much change happens in our lives, how much change happens at Thornhill Baptist Church, and how God gives us opportunity to make change in a world that's around us. Jesus will transform you and this church and this world. So here are some closing thoughts. we got to remember that our goal is to be salt and light. Our, li- our lives need to be pointing to Christ and saying, it's about Him. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about us. If you think you're a lukewarm Christian today, then pursue Jesus Christ. Be in love with Him. Abide in Him. Stay connected to Him and let Him live through you. And you know what? If it can happen on a, on a local, on an individual level, you know, within us, then it can happen on a larger scale. And we can change our communities and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and then this city and then this province and then this country and the world. But it all starts with the Holy Spirit of the living God of the Bible transforming one person's heart at a time and then letting the Savior, Jesus Christ, be fully alive in you. Now, I have Chris and Doris and Irene are going to lead us in the singing of a hymn. 
and then I'm going to close with a benediction. So as we're getting ready to sing hymn 449, I'm going to read a quote for you. Now, this quote is from uh, Francis Chan. And Francis Chan is a Christian leader who is taking upon himself to call Christians to not take their faith so casually, but to be serious about their faith in Christ. So follow this quote from Francis Chan, and uh, he addresses it to Americans, and I'll address it to North Americans. Francis Chan says, As Christians in North America, we often complain about how antagonistic people are towards Christ. Personally, I'm not sure that North Americans are rejecting Christ. Maybe they just haven't seen him. Try to be completely honest with yourself right now. Is the following true of you? You passionately love Jesus, but you don't really want to be like him. You admire his humility, but you don't want to be that humble. You think it's beautiful that he washed the feet of the disciples, but that's not exactly the direction your life is headed. You're thankful that he was spit upon and abused, but you'd never let that happen to you. You praise him for loving you enough to suffer during his whole life on earth, but you're going to do everything within your power to make sure you you enjoy your time down here. In short, you think he's a great savior, but not a great role model. The North American church has abandoned the most simple and obvious truth of what it means to follow Jesus. You actually follow his pattern of life. Interesting quote, isn't it? What do you think? Maybe the issue is not that they're rejecting him. Maybe they're just rejecting the fact that they haven't seen him yet. Just a thought. So we're going to sing hymn 449, and then I'll close with a a benediction. Thanks, Chris. Chris.